On this episode of the Resetter Podcast, I bring you Jill Miller. So, I hope you all know that part of my passion is giving you lifestyle tools, especially highlighting what we need to do as women after 40. Uh, what, how do we adapt to all the neurochemical changes that are going on in our body? This conversation with Jill Miller is literally going to blow your mind. It blew my mind because I never realized that as estrogen went down, we see dramatic changes in our fascial system. Now, you're going to hear in this conversation, Jill is going to talk about exactly what fascia is. It is one of the most abundant tissues in our body. It connects every muscle, every ligament, and, and to every organ. We are completely wrapped in this fascia. And check this out. Our queen, or I, I like to call her our diva hormone, estradiol, stimulates flexibility of fascia. And when estradiol goes away, there is a massive shift to the fascial system. It could be as simple as it makes us feel more stiff or as complicated as it contributes to bloating. This is really interesting. We had a whole conversation at the back end about bloating and what we can do through touch and not only self-massage through, we talked a lot about using tune-up balls and different types of balls to reactivate the fascia so that not only are you less injury prone, not only are you less stiff, but it'll take the bloating down that so many of us experience. This conversation blew me away. And I think you all are going to absolutely find so many things in here that are going to help improve not only your health today, but set you up for loving the body that you live in as you age. Now, a couple things about Jill is she is a fascia expert. She has 30 years of corrective movement expertise. She is big in the yoga movement. She has created what she calls self-care fitness programs. Have you heard of the yoga tune-up balls or the role model is one of her books? These were created by Jill. This woman is a powerhouse. She has not only brought us two huge resources, the role model and body by breath. We will link both of those in there. But she also has a very specific idea about how to use different types of balls to be able to release fascia. You'll, you'll see, I talked to her about the foam rollers, not a fan. They hurt so much. She'll explain why that is not as beneficial as using some of these softer balls. Either way you look at this, this conversation, I'm not sure has ever been had around hormone changes and fascia, and I am so excited to bring it to you. So Jill Miller, what do you need to know about fascia as you go through the menopausal years? I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And again, as always, if you love this, send this out into the world because so many women are struggling with the symptoms of perimenopause and menopause, and this conversation needs to be heard by those women. So as always, enjoy. Welcome to the Resetter Podcast. This podcast is all about empowering you to believe in yourself again. 
If you have a passion for learning, if you're looking to be in control of your health and take your power back, this is the podcast for you. Hey, Recenters, as we step into the new year, I am so thrilled to invite you on an extremely transformative journey with me in my Reset Academy. So check this out. If you're ready to kickstart your fasting and health journey, which I know so many of you have reached out to us and asked how you customize a fasting lifestyle for you, my Reset Academy is the absolute best place to be. So here's what you get in the academy, and I like to think of it in terms of a complete picture. So imagine being surrounded by people who understand your journey, who are passionate for fasting, who want to lift you up and will support you every step of the way. My academy is not just me, my team, but it is an incredible group of people that are all dedicated to building fasting lifestyles and supporting each other in it. This is why I created the Reset Academy. So when you join, you gain access to all the exclusive calls where my team and I share the latest insights, we answer your burning questions, and we guide you towards your health goals. That's not it. We didn't stop there. By becoming a member, you're not just investing in a membership, but you're investing in yourself. I am such a fan of setting you up to win this year. And my academy is the best place I know to do that. I want to keep you focused. I want you to customize this for you. And I want you to succeed at your health goals this year. End of story. So if you're ready to unlock your fullest potential and embrace a fasting lifestyle, join me. If it feels good, join me. And let's make this year an incredible year for us all. So all you got to do is go visit drmindypels.com slash reset academy to become a member. I can't wait to welcome you. I can't wait to see you on the Zoom calls. I can't wait to be in community with you. And most importantly, let's get your health goals handled and let's do this together. It's so much better together. Together. So that's drmindypels.com slash reset academy. Excited to see you there. So let me let me just start by welcoming you. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Oh, likewise. I've been a fan for a long time, and this is really an excellent opportunity for me to talk with you about things I'm interested in, too. I love this idea that there is a hormonal connection to fascia. I had, you know, I've looked at hormones from every angle I possibly can. I've never looked at it from a fascia angle. So could we start just with, so that we fill everybody in, what is fascia and why is it so damn important? Because I feel like it's this one part of the body that does not get enough credit for its impact on our physical and mental health. So let's start with unpacking fascia. Yes, we will be here all day unpacking (laughs) fascia because fascia is essentially what packs you together. Fascia is your seam system. Fascia is a fibrous and fluid network that strings every cell of your body together. It suspends every muscle cell and binds them together. It's what helps your organs to be in float within your body. There are, uh, there are so many different components that comprise fascia, but I like to simply say it's your seam system. 
Mm. It's the stitches that hold everything together, together, but it also gives you your form and shape. And it, it impacts every single system of the body. It runs through every system of the body. It contains every system of the body. And so there are many different aspects that we can dive into. I think some of the more famous aspects of fascia are its mechanical aspects. So folks like Tom Myers or the Rolf Institute, you know, anatomy mm. trains have, have brought into focus how this fascia, essentially this stitching fabric, links muscles together from end to end. And so it's really been able to translate well into performance and to functional movement. But, you know, fascia is also a, a hormonal tissue, which I'm just, I'll just tease that. It's yeah. also a, a bed for nerve tissue. It yeah. houses more sensory nerve endings than your skin or your eyes. Yeah. So we can look at fascia. Once you look at fascia, you have to look at every area of the body and get really interested in this connecting tissue that kind of houses all the things. So where do you want to start? Yeah, you know what you know what it reminds me of is 10 years ago I became obsessed with detoxing and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I can see how toxins accumulate in the body as you get older." I read some really interesting research on how when your hormones go through a massive change like they do during perimenopause, mm -hmm. that certain heavy metals like lead start to leach out into your circulatory system. They go up into your brain, affect your brain. So I was like, if, if we were having this conversation 10 years ago, I would have been like all about detox. And then I realized something really important, which was that the lymph system has to be flowing well in order for the detox organs to do their job. I feel like the same thing about fascia. We get so clued in and on like, oh, I got to eat certain foods to improve my liver or I need to repair my gut. But we organs don't work in isolation. They work with these connective tissues, lymph being one, nervous system being one, circulatory system being one, and fascia being the other one. And I don't understand why we don't talk about it enough because, yes, I hear what you're saying. It holds everything together. But there's also a communication that happens. And when scars happen and injuries happen and the fascia tightens, it affects everything in the body. So can you talk about how fascia is this communication system in our body? Yeah. So I think we, we can start really gradually. So we, I already yeah. talked about the big, the big span of the tissue, right, from cell to skin and everything in between. But your fascia is comprised of a number of different cells. A number of them reside in fascia and a number of different cells traffic through your fascia. But the resident cells... The primary resident cells are called fibroblasts. And these fibroblasts are like little miniature spiders that tend and mend the fibers of your net, of this fascial net. What are the, what are the fibers? The fibers are collagen, many different types of collagen, reticulin, elastin. So there are many different elastic or tensional fibers that comprise this fascia. And so, for example, when we have a wound or a, an injury or a surgery, in order for blood vessels and nerves to get back to the site of injury, the fascia sites migrate to the area and they start spitting out collagen and elastin in order to build bridges mm. from, the, from one side of the wound to the other side of the wound. And so they end up creating the scaffolding that allows then blood vessels to get in there, 
for all the macrophages to come in and do the cleanup and and then eventually for nerve endings to be able to supply the whatever it is needed there, whether it's musculoskeletal activity or or circulation circulation improvements via the the nervous system network. So we have these um, fibroblasts. And by the way, the fibroblasts are going to be very interesting to you because they're the ones that are sensitive to estrogen. They have estrogen receptors all over them. Mm. And we also have this other cell called fascocytes. Fascocytes were located or they were discovered just around 10 years ago by a researcher in Italy named Dr. Carla Stecco, an amazing researcher. Your people should look into her. And these fascocytes are the cells that spit out the correct chemistry for the fluid environment of fascia. So just like your joints have synovial fluid, right? Synovial fluid is a really popular and known substance that even most people have heard about synovial fluid, that grease for the joints. Well, your fascia has grease too, and that grease is hyaluronan. Mm -hmm. And so the fascicides spit out the right quantities of hyaluronan to allow your tissues to move around each other. Because if your tissues don't glide within themselves, they get sticky, they get stiff, they get stuck, they limit movement, they hurt. And this is what propagates movement dysfunction. This is what propagates stiffness. This helps to contribute to cell death, to sarcopenia, and so many other things. So these fascicides are really important. There are also do you want to ask no, something yeah. before? No, go, you go. I have a question about estrogen, but go. Yeah, I want to. Sure. I know everybody's yeah. got a question about estrogen. I know. I have a so lot exciting. of questions on that. But you really asked about a communication, right? You asked about, mm-hmm. oh, this communication. So the communication, I think we can probably think about the nervous system's load in the fascial tissue. Mm-hmm. So there are 250 million sensory neurons that end in your fascial tissues. So this is a gigantic feedback loop, and this is happening, you know, within within muscles in the muscle spindles. Where these are the stretch receptors, but they're also happening in Golgi tendon organs. But they're also happening at the tendon. They're also happening in many different layers. We have these Ruffini endings, for example, that are sensory neurons that are living inside your fatty layer. They're living inside a layer of fascia within the fatty tissue of your body called the superficial fascia membrane. And so we have a, a high propensity of sensory neurons all over our body within our joint capsules. These are the Pacinian corpuscles. So it gets really interesting when we start to like dive into these smaller and smaller bits of the greater whole. It's like its own ecosystem is what I it just It is said. your ecosystem. <laughs> I would no, say you're the- just living in the fascist world. Ah, oh my gosh. Okay. So let's go back to estrogen, because this is one thing that I've been deeply thinking about, is when estradiol goes away, all the things that estradiol supported, great brain health, cardiovascular health, uh, it's more than just releasing an egg every month, that there are these requirements of different tissues in our body for estradiol. So once estradiol is gone, because she's supposed to go away throughout menopause, what we're left with these parts of our body that don't function as well because it doesn't have the chemistry to be able to perform the way it do- it's supposed to. So what happens with fascia when you go through menopause? If, if there's an estrogen receptor site in there and now I'm not giving it estrogen, what happens to fascia? Yeah. So let me describe what, what happens on a monthly basis prior yes. to menopause, oh, yeah. prior to perimenopause. And then I think it'll get really clear 
what happens um, due to menopause and this withdrawal of est- estrogen from your body. So the this research was done by uh, Carlos Deco, who I mentioned before, and Catarina Fede, this whole group in Padua. And they presented this research at the Fashion Research Congress. I'm a real fashion nerd, so I go I to these it. congresses. And in, in 2021, when she started talking about female fascia and the relationship to estrogen, progesterone, the, the room was just, I don't think anybody breathed for you know the 20 minutes of her presentation because we couldn't believe that somebody was presenting research that validated this the bizarre you know experience of living in a female body and how many changes occur all the time but here's its impact on fascia so we become so we have these fa- these estrogen receptors on the fibroblast and when we have our estrogen peaks there's two estrogen peaks in the cycle right you have peak one like between 10 and 14 days and you have second peak between 20 24 days when we have these estrogen peaks the the fibroblasts start to create more type 3 collagen now i'm sorry there are dozens of types of collagen and this is not even something i could give you a, a lecture on but the type 3 collagen is the looser more elastic mm. collagen and it starts to get rid of or eat away type 1 collagen. Type 1 is the firmer, stronger, tighter, more rigid collagen. So as you start to peak at days 10 to 14 during ovulation, your fascial body becomes looser. It becomes more open. It becomes more flexible. You are less rigid. And so in that looseness, that might sound really good if you're like a stiff person, but it makes you accident and injury prone. Um, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, if you're like a female soccer player and, you know, you're, this is when we're at higher risk of having these connective tissue or, or, you know, ligament strains. And then the second peak at that 20 to 24 day mark, again, there's an an increase in estrogen in the system. We become, again, hyper flexible in our connective tissues. And this is like not an overnight thing. This is like a progressive thing. And then it wanes again and you become you become you, those looser connective tissues are then cannibalized by the fibroblasts and they replace them with type one. So we have this constant shifting of loose, stiff, loose, stiff. And it's yes. helpful to know, especially if you're extra estrogen sensitive, especially if you're somebody who suffers great pains, you know, right before period at that second that surge. I think it's really helpful to know, well, maybe I shouldn't be lifting super heavy on those days. You know, I can lift, I can walk, but I maybe not want to try my PR during those days just because of that extra extensibility of the tissues. So one thing that I've looked at when we look at working out for the cycle Mm -hmm. is I think there's a there's a lot of conversation right now about how important building muscle is for women in general, but especially for women as they go through menopause or perimenopause. So let's use perimenopause as an example. If I'm in ovulation, yes, I'm more flexible according to the theory that you just gave, but maybe then I could do higher weights in a slower motion. I'm thinking more like HIIT training where you're jumping that or you're doing very quick reps. That actually is going to be more challenging during these peaks of estrogen. So would you say, given what that that it you become more flexible, that a workout just needs to be slower 
and not at, not, not jeopardizing your ability to have a quick turn of the ankle or a, or a quick pull of the tendon because you are more flexible during that time. Yeah, I mean, I would say that during those times, doing long-held static stretches, like mm. within a yoga class, that is where you might actually be at more risk because you're mm. so extra stretchy that you could end up deforming those connective tissue junctions because you're so extra stretchy. So uh. so it's like, I like what you're saying about the weight training. And, you know, I do weight training myself. I'm not a personal trainer. I come from the yoga space, um, but I I personally am extremely mobile. I'm on the hypermobile spectrum. So I tend to concentrate on like you exactly what you're describing. But I don't I don't necessarily blanket statement that for all bodies, because I think the number one thing that you said there was slow. And to me, that means I'm going to be really investing my awareness in these mm-hmm. movements. So nothing, nothing when we are at our most flexy or at our most fascially fragile, I don't think calling phoning it in is a good idea. I think we have to be extremely mindful or I like to, what, one of the things that I talk about in my new book, Body by Breath, is my body thinks in feels that you really want to dial into both your proprioception, the feedback you're getting from your body, as well as the interoception, the feeling of your physiology, the perception of your physiology, and pay attention, very, very good attention to all aspects of your movement so that you don't increase your risk of injury or harm. So, you know, I just think it's really, because I talk to trainers about, about like the science is the science. So your interpretation of that and how you implement it is really... You know, I think there's so many different possibilities, (laughs) but I think the best thing that we can do is increase our awareness, like to know that that is, you know, probable that our our fascial tissues are more elastic during this time. So make make of it what you will, depending on your your primary body type in the first place. Yeah. So so, go ahead. Yeah. So if you were going to customize and I know, again, I think it's yeah, you're not a personal trainer, but you have this great yoga background. If you were to customize a change of workout when when estrogen peaks, what would you tell us to do? I would tell you to engage in in slower, more mindful movements. I wouldn't necessarily decrease the load, but I would not go for max reps and I would not go for PRs. Okay. So, and the because the other problem that I think a lot of women have, especially athletic women, is we've learned to override pain in our body when we're working out. So I'm envisioning when I was a menstruating woman, I was envisioning like, would I have the intuitive sense to know this isn't good for my joints? Because when you're lifting weights, it hurts. It's not fun. At least, you know, and if you're pushing it, it's hard. So how do you know what's good pushing and what's dangerous pushing during those times? Yeah. And unfortunately, you don't always know until tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. Yeah, right. Because of because of delayed onset, which, by the way, is not happening in the muscle. Delayed onset. Delayed onset muscle soreness is actually delayed onset fascial soreness. This is the sensory neurons within the fascial tissues because the muscles repair very quickly. They have a 24 hour cycle, but fascia has a 48 to 72 hour repair cycle. So some of that inflammation, the inflammation that we're experiencing, this engorgement is being is that the, the time that for the fascial repair is taking longer than the muscle. And so you may not know if you've overdone it. I mean, frequently, we don't know that we've overdone it until the next day anyway. But, right. you know, by, this, by the third day, you're still unable to go down the stairs. You probably, probably yeah. overdid it. And then what okay. day of that of your cycle was that? 
so that's really interesting because one of the things I noticed as I went through perimenopause yes. was extreme soreness. And I didn't know, again, I've been an athlete my whole life. I was a competitive tennis player in my college years. Like I, I was shocked that the workouts I had been doing on a semi-regular basis, all of a sudden now were giving me three to four day sorenesses. Yeah. So that, I, I never could figure that out. I was like, is it testosterone de- decrease? What's causing this soreness? What I'm hearing you say is it was probably too much strain on the fascia, which would make sense during the perimenopausal years because estrogen goes Scott, goes really high and then she goes really low on, you know, all the time, like a roller coaster ride. So we can use the how long soreness is hanging out to, to help us understand if we are now injuring fascia, not not building muscle. Absolutely. I think that is a that is your code. And you know, it's your body's way of, of speaking to you. And and so the one of the ways we address it in the work that I do is through self-myofascial release. So we will use gentle friction using soft, pliable tools to induce the fascia sites, I'd mentioned these cells, to spurt out hyaluronan to increase glide, where glide is now glommy or agglomerated due to uh, the repair process or just frankly from from tearing and scarring and, and getting matted down. So, and then this not even addressing the autonomic nervous system benefits of, of doing that. But also, here's another thought for you, which is that perimenopause is so challenging. I'm in perimenopause right now. Yeah. And it's like, oh, two months, no period. And then, oh my gosh, I'm hemorrhaging yes. for a week. This is right. really yes. fascinating. It's, cr- it's, yeah, there's no, there. it's so unpredictable. But when I was talking about the, the sensitivity of fibroblast to estrogen, what happens when that the estrogen starts to recede is your fibroblasts aren't being sensitized. They're not being told estrogen is around. And so they're not creating the more elastic collagen. They start overproducing type 1 collagen and stiffening down. So mm-hmm. they start making your whole body stiffer. And this is one of the chief complaints of postmenopause women who have gone through perimenopause and are now in menopause is that their joints feel stiff. They feel Mm -hmm. achy. um, They don't have as much mobility anymore. And that is that one of the reasons is because that type one collagen is now the dominant fiber that is Mm. helping hold them together. You know, because you don't have, because you're not getting estradiol. So your estrogen, your estrogen's gone down. So, and so now stiffness has kicked in. So what do we do for that woman and how do we help that woman? Well, first, you know, definitely consider I'm not a I'm not a prescriber, but I definitely am staying in touch with my medical team because I really believe in my hormone patch has been extremely helpful for me, especially with my cognitive function. But my my plan uh, is to maintain some level of estrogen as well as a lot of movement. I work with plenty of people much more advanced age than I am who use this work, the work that I teach, the self-myofascial release strategies, the stress reduction strategies via the body, via the breath to stay mobile, to produce hyaluronan when that is starting to decline as well. So we want to make sure that we massage the tissues, we address the joints, we create friction, very specific friction in different zones. So that your your muscles can continue to contract as much as they can and lengthen as much as they can. 
because they live inside your fascia. If your fascia is stiff, if it's agglomerated, if it's congested, if it's bound up, your muscles aren't going to get any stronger. They're just going to be get the squeeze by your stiffening connective tissue. So it's important that we stay mobile. And, and I also want to point out that even if we do the patch or we do bioidenticals, you're still not getting the same amount of estrogen you got at 25. So, you know, I, I love right now that we're at least revisiting some of the bioidenticals and some of the HRT. Like, I, I think it's a personal path, but I also feel like we're losing in that conversation the fact that you're still not getting back what you had at 25 because that's not appropriate for your age. You're not trying to release eggs as much. So with, with that in mind, what I just heard is outside of movement and, and muscle building, I got to think about my fascial system, especially as a postmenopausal woman. And I fear that what you're going to say is that is foam rolling, which is the most horrific way ever to approach my body. So tell me how, yeah. as a 54-year-old postmenopausal woman who works out a ton, what do I do for my fascia? So I wrote, I've written two books on self-myofascial release, and I've written a chapter in a medical textbook called Fascia Function and Medical Applications on self-myofascial release. So unfortunately, you are going to hear about rolling. No, maybe I not, know, I know. Maybe not foam rolling, because I don't, I'm not a foam roller person. I like a smaller profile tool. I like a gushy, pliable tool that mimics human hands rather than feels like you're being, you know, flogged Tortured. by a bat. Yes. <laughs> or by PVC pipe because texture matters and hardness mm. matters. And this is, a, I think, a really interesting thing to look at. Many people have a, a, a recoil when they hear foam rolling because it freaking hurts. It hurts. Why so does much. it hurt? It hurts because when something is too hard for your nervous system, for your stretch tolerance, for your pressure tolerance, your sympathetic nervous system says, no, go there, protect, defend. Mm -hmm. And that's called your muscle bracing response. So when you get on a foam roller and you put it on a body part that is extremely tight and rigid, the roller touches it, your nervous system says, this woman is trying to harm me. So mm -hmm. I'm going to stiffen in order to not let this implement go into my body. Mm. Um, and so you're just rolling against your own tension. You're you're at war, literally at war with your tissues and your nervous system. This is not a therapeutic response. So yeah. what we want to try to do is emulate as carefully as we can tender touch that disarms this stress response because it's really hard to relax, let go, receive therapy when you're at odds with with the with the therapy. Right. So. I use, I'll just show you, I have a, a fleet of balls called the role model balls. This is a small one. This is a yoga tune-up ball, but they're, they're gushy and they're grippy. Yeah. And what that means is when they roll um, against soft tissues like muscle bellies, or they roll up and against bony junctions like your spine or your shoulder or even your face or your foot, there's a yielding so that the bony prominences don't just pinch and annoy and get bruised by like a lacrosse ball or, or a foam roller. But there's a compliance of your soft tissue and the tool. And so you can adjust your autonomic nervous system, your stress response. You can enter into a relaxation response. And then it really feels like you're getting massaged by a pro, but it's you doing it yourself, which is very mm. empowering. And so returning to our talk about the fascia sites and the fibroblasts, it's because estradiol is waning, is removed, 
We don't have this sea that we're swimming any, anymore. Um, instead of relying on um, chemicals to touch the cells, we now rely on pressure to touch the cells. This is called mechanotransduction. So these, the pressure from the rolling can stimulate the fibroblasts to do the right thing, to maintain mm. elasticity in our tissue. Mm. Because if you're giving a signal to these cells that they need to maintain elasticity, they will. But if you, if, if you, you'll maintain stiffness by staying stiff. You'll maintain elasticity by introducing movement, by introducing elasticity to the tissues via compression, via shear. There's, there's many different applications that I, that I go over in, in my work. So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. Do you know Tony Horton? He was the creator of P90X, one of the most revolutionary at-home fitness programs. And we created together a new fitness program called Power Sync 60. And it is literally, this program's never been done. It is a revolutionary 60-day program for both men and women. So here's why I want you to join us is that we literally created PowerSync 60 with you in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a cycling woman, a postmenopausal woman, or a man. One of the things I brought to Tony was that when we work out, we have to think about our hormones. And he had never done that in the millions of workouts that he's created in his lifetime. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself. Also, of course, we put some fasting in there, and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds. So I, it, this is like a passion project that I'm so excited to share with you. And in order to get it, all you got to do is visit drmindy.org and use the code PS60PELS. So PS60, and then my last name, PELS, P-E-L-Z, to get 20% off. And you get lifetime access to the program. So that's drmindy.org, and you use the code PS60PELS to join all of us. I'm actually doing this myself right now. So come join me, my community, on this incredible journey. I am so proud to bring this to you. So you know what it reminds me of? One of the uh, research articles that really shocked me that I found at the beginning of 2023 was um, a real in-depth look at how estrogen and progesterone stimulate a lot of neurotransmitters. So if we just stay on the estrogen path, okay. estrog estrogen stimulates, estradiol specifically, stimulates dopamine, serotonin, acetylcholine, uh, oxytocin, BDNF. I mean, so when she goes away, you're losing all these other neurotransmitters. And so there needs to be a lifestyle that backs, fills mm. in to be able to support each one of those neurotransmitters. So like serotonin, really interesting thing about serotonin is actually eating carbs. If you eat, if you eat poultry, specifically something that's high in tryptophan, and then you follow that up a couple of hours later with carbohydrates, you actually use the carbohydrate to convert tryptophan into serotonin is another study that I found. Okay, so how many women as they go through menopause understand, oh, I may not be happy right now because I've lost estrogen that has decreased serotonin. So I need to look at what I can do and hack in strategies like I just gave you to bring up serotonin. What I just learned is that 
if we are getting that same response in the fascia, then we need to backfill in Mm. with something like the yoga tune-up balls to be able to stimulate the fascia in a manner in which estradiol was doing, but she's now gone. Right. And so we're using, we're using pressure to do that, right? Pressure, sheer, deep touch and, and novel touch because your brain really, you know, Mm. you're, you're a sensory thing. My body thinks and feels. So we're, this really helps excite your brain about these new sensations from within your body. And I mean, we use the balls all over. I use, I have a special one, this, this one called the gorgeous ball. This is all over the trunk. And so you can um, pressurize your, your rib cage, your lungs, your heart, your, all these deep core muscles, your organs, your viscera, manipulating this is very helpful for digestion. I know that's something that's really important to your listeners. Yeah. Also mobilizing the colon and so on. But the, you know, the, one of the, I, I have, I have a, a menu of five. It's called the five P's of the parasympathetic nervous system that I think is very easy for people to create for themselves to induce this relaxation response. And, and rolling is included. But I, mm. I think that to back up, like what you're saying, to back up an, a mechanical, in a mechanical way, this is, I call this the five P's of the parasympathetic nervous system. Ooh, and so the first P is perspective. So perspective means you introduce a mindset that makes you aware that you are trying to become aware of the experience of your body. And so one of the P's that I work with all the time, because I actually live with a lot of high anxiety of long uh, childhood history that's brought me to this point in life. But I, I like to say to myself, all of me is welcome here. All of me is welcome here so that I allow for the experience of my body to speak whatever it might need to as I'm going through this process. And so perspective, another simple perspective could just be I'm a student of my body or I embody my body just to just to welcome the feelings to come up and whatever the feelings are. Sometimes they're emotions. Sometimes they're feelings of eroticism. Sometimes they're feelings of owie. Sometimes they're feeling of of pain. Sometimes they're, they're memories. So that's the first P. The second P is place. In order for your body to enter into a, the relaxation response, the therapeutic response, the environment that you're in is very critical. And ideally, you're in a place that's safe to you, a place that's quiet and even maybe a little dark or, you know, relaxing. So that's a relaxing environment where you feel safe. So we have our perspective. We have our place. The third P is position. And position takes into account how blood pressure is calculated by your body. And so the easiest position is recline. Get down yes, on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> now, if you, if you lay down or you lounge back, you're typically, typically going to have a more uh, relaxed experience phys- physiologically because your diaphragm is offloaded from its postural component. Your heart rate will slow down. Your breath rate will slow down. And then from where I come from, if you're really want to induce the relaxation response, you might even raise your pelvis higher than your heart, higher than your head by putting your Mm -hmm. pelvis up on a yoga block or a stack of books or, you know, put it on the gorgeous ball. And that way you're in this gentle slope. And that takes advantage of something called the baroreceptor reflex. But anyway, that ignites the vagus nerve, your your Mm -hmm. major parasympathetic nerve to really slow down the heart rate, to really slow down the breath rate. Okay, so those are those are some organizing principles. We've got yes. perspective, place, position. The fourth P is pace of breath. 
breathing is free. Breathing comes with no bells and whistles. I mean, except whistling. You can always manipulate the pace of your breath to adjust state. Now, it's easy for me to say. Um, It's not always easy to do, especially if you are in the throes of a panic attack. Um, But typically, we can induce a relaxation response by extending our exhalations, just making them a little longer than the inhale that we breathed prior. So if you can consider that trying to blow out, get the wind out, get the candles on the cake out, Mm. making that happen longer than inhale. And there's so many, I mean, I I, I wrote a 480-page book about different breathing breathing practices. You can do that. That yeah. yes, like that will that are that also, especially for people who have what I would what I call breath induced anxiety. So some people, when they're told to breathe, that actually spikes their threat response. Mm. And so sometimes we have to take breath off the table and go right to the fifth P, which is palpation. And palpation is what we've been talking about. It's inducing pressure into your body in novel ways that delights the brain or confuses the brain and allows these pressures to help also cascade you into relaxation response. And in in my most recent work, I there are these portals that pressurize mechanical places where your vagus nerve is available, and that can hasten even more relaxation. So these five Ps of the parasympathetic nervous system, when you compound them, it is like your inner medicine chest. So it's not like taking clonopin or whatever. You're actually creating an internal environment for your physiology where you are crafting this calming response and you're getting body work done in the meantime. So it, the five Ps again, it's perspective, place, position, pace of breath, palpation. So if I'm a 47-year-old woman, I'm, ha- I'm having a panic attack. I'm starting to learn how to live with anxiety for the first time because mm-hmm. of the loss of hormones. I could use those five Ps as a way to guide myself into a calmer state. Could you, could you talk a little bit about like, so would I lay on the ground with my hips up? get one of the balls like is there give us some action of how that might look in a in a momentary panic attack yeah in a momentary panic attack because i have them sometimes when i travel what i actually like to do is is because it's usually like in public like on an airplane i'll put the ball actually in my gut can't see it right so i'll press it in my gut or on my ribs and i'll bend over um, and this gives biofeedback. So you have something, a tool that you can actually breathe against. And that really helps because it, it's, it's, it mimics the bear hug, right? So, yeah. you know, when your kids, your toddlers are having a temperature tantrum and their faces are turning beet red, that if you can get them to a place where you can give them a, a good solid pressure hug, mm. that can help them to finally switch gears and then start to ramp back up into a more homeostatic place of communication and interaction. So I give myself that bear hug using the tool. And I mean, I carry this around with me. It just deflates it's in my backpack. And I'm really specifically thinking about a missed connection that happened recently where I was like, okay, I can't even move my legs. I was in such a panic attack. But as soon as I was able to 
get to the gate, I started using my tools right away. Yeah. Palp- palpation, um, head below heart, extended exhalations, and then the perspective, telling myself that that I'm okay, it's a safe place, my breath is safe, my breath is home, just whatever yes. I could. I think what's really important about that story and what I'm trying to educate women on is that it would be easy. This is, again, sort of this, the world we live in where you would see somebody do like, oh, you're having a panic attack, grab the ball, put it around your stomach, exhale out more than you inhale. And and we tend to think of that as woo-woo, like, oh, that's kind of a weird, I think culturally, right. I, I know you you don't, <laughs> I don't, but what I want the <laughs> listeners to hear is that it may seem, let's say insignificant. That may seem mm-hmm. like an insignificant approach to anxiety. But if you back it up to what we talked about before, which is you're in your mid-40s, you're losing estrogen, fascia is tightening, it's going to be easier, you don't have progesterone helping you make GABA, these panic attacks, this anxiety is going to appear because you are neurochemically changing. So what you just described is science showing us how to adapt to that change. That's my point in making that so that we don't, I think what you said was brilliant and I want to make sure that the listeners don't disregard that Mm -hmm. because that that was a a phenomenal, easy way that we can all lean into. Where my brain goes next is what about bloating? Can that help with bloating? (laughs) Oh, so I will share this with you. So I am a recovered anorexic and I'm also a recovered bulimic Mm. and- I try to stay away. I totally stay away from any, you know, nutritional advice to people. So I always go to the mechanical side of things. I obviously I listen to nutritional advice, but I I I never engage in that conversation because I'm just not an expert on it and I'm not good with managing other people's nutritional or or their body shape expectations. Right. But bloating is extremely uncomfortable. And it's really problematic for a lot of the tissues that I love to talk about, namely the respiratory diaphragm. So when there is excess gas in your viscera, your diaphragm, which lives inside of your rib cage, has a really hard time descending. Mm. It has a really hard time uh, moving and bouncing your viscera up and down, which would maybe make it more helpful to move gas along. Yeah, mm-hmm. is to yep. have this wonderful rhythm, right? The gas, the pressure is just rising and rising. It's making your diaphragm rise up. And if your diaphragm can't descend and then return to its place, it's really hard to be in a calm state. In Body by Breath, I talk about three zones of respiration. And in zone one respiration, we're breathing in a way that our diaphragm descends, our organs distend cooperatively, yep. our pelvic floor distends, our lumbar region, the, the fascia of the lumbar called the brachiolumbar aperosis. We have this 360 expansion. And then all of that funnels right back in when the diaphragm goes back home into its ribcage. So we have this wonderful collaborative thing. And that is one of our easiest ways to know that we're in a calm state. Calm state breathing happens in zone one. If I'm not in zone one because I have pressure within my organs that aren't allowing the diaphragm to, set, to descend, I default into what's called zone two breathing. In zone two breathing, I'm relying on my intercostals. These are muscles that line the ribs. If you've ever eaten ribs, you've eaten intercostals, as well as the diaphragm to move the ribs up and down as I breathe. Now, zone two breathing is not illegal. You use this when you're running. You use this when you're pushing 
weights. You, you need this when you're moving a sofa across the floor, right? We have to brace our core. We have to brace our abdomen. We have to stiffen our abdomen and our back so that we don't injure our low back or our pelvis. So we have to breathe somewhere we breathe in zone two. But if you're breathing in zone two all the time, because you're bloated or because you have scar tissue in your abdomen that doesn't allow your diaphragm to descend. Or maybe you breathe in zone two all the time because you want to look skinny. So you're pulling your abdomen Mm. in. It's going to create a overall more sympathetic tone in your body. You're going to be more upregulated. You're going to be more hype. You're going to be more agitated. And then what often happens in zone two is if we're chronically in zone two because we're bloated, we're going to stay bloated. Because we're not entering into our rest and digest. We can't get into the calm state. And then that will often throw us into what I call zone three breathing, which is our in case of emergency breathing. And that's when breathing happens with face, neck, shoulder, jaw, where you'll end up. Yes, you'll heave, you'll hoist air into the upper portion of your airway. And this we do this in the case of shock or fright or fear. Or it's not always diabolical. You also do this in orgasm. You know, you'll have these sudden rapturous breaths, but it's usually very short-lived. Um, and so this is very high stress. So if we're in a blend of kind of zone three, zone two breathing, it's very difficult to then have healthy digestion because we are literally running the car. Uh, it's out of gas, but it's still running. I mean, you're okay, full of gas. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Literally, literally didn't work. Yeah. So how do we fix that? I, I think that's, I can tell, there are so many women, let me just put this, so many women that complain about bloating during yes. their perimenopause. So how, I, that logic of what you just explained, I feel like every woman is like, yep, that's me. How do we fix it? Yes. So I wanted to go through that so that I can then talk you through an application so yes. if you don't have something like a gorgeous ball, you don't need a gorgeous ball. You can use a, a pillow. You can use a rolled up yoga mat. And what I would do is lay yourself on your side, lay specifically on your left side and place an object that's comfortable. So whatever object you use, you don't want it. It shouldn't be hard. It shouldn't feel like you're punching yourself with an object. So a gentle thing, like, I mean, if you're just starting off with this, a pillow is great. And actually let your abdomen rest on it. I have an exercise in the book called Gut Baby, Mindy. Mm. Oh, so perfect. I can send you I can send you a photo of Gut Baby so you can see what I'm talking about. And allow the organs, which are gassy and having difficulty contracting well, the smooth muscle, actually let the organs rest on the ball or let it rest on the object. And then you take your top hand. So you picture yourself, you're laying on your side, probably have something underneath your head so that your head is supported. And then you, it's like pregnant belly. You allow these organs to traction away from their roots. Their root is in the, the mesentery. So mm-hmm. this gets into some anatomy, but that all of the, the blood that serves your intestines is, is like a, a giant dog in the back of your abdomen. And so what we're doing is we're tractioning these organs away Letting the letting the vasculature have some stretch. We're stretching loads of fascia, by the way. We're stretching loads of muscle. All your core muscles are being stretched here. And then you just want to very quietly breathe into the gut. You want to try to allow the diaphragm to descend and relax. So it's just a very slow meditation. And then you take your top hand and rest it on your top side of your abdomen. 
and you just keep coaxing the abs out. Now, I know it seems crazy, like, wait, I'm going to try to get rid of the bloat. I'm going to squish that the, the gas out. I want to press in. No, no, no. Actually allow the gesture to complete. Allow fluff to come in. So you're, you're essentially fluffing the organs. That is going to allow stretch to come into the colon, into the small intestine, allow the smooth muscle to then come back online because we're getting our zone one breath in there. And that's when your smooth muscles uh, within the the organs will start to contract, will start to move stuff along. You start on your left side so you can let the gas that's stuck along mm. the sigmoid colon get out first. Otherwise, you'll have even more visceral pain. And after about three to five minutes, then you can switch to the other side and you'll start to hear the bergerigmi. You'll hear like those whale sounds in the gut as gas is starting to move along finally from where it's been congested, congested within your organs. So, and what's, what kind of breathing technique? Should we do the in, in for like four, out for six? Like, should the exhale be longer than the inhale to just kind of calm the nervous system? If you're able to do that. So sometimes a paced breath. So as I mentioned before, pace of breath is really critical. Longer exhales than inhales in general. But the introduction of this pressure into the gut and this sort of this odd traction of the gut can be so discombobulating for some that sometimes I'll just tell people, just watch your body breathe. Watch your body breathe. Mm -hmm. Don't try to control it because we're trying to control everything, right? Right. Just right. let your body breathe. And then within a few minutes, what happens typically to those people is all of a sudden they'll yawn. They'll have an involuntary sigh, just a <sighs> like yeah. all of a sudden they'll have a stage shift. And that's when you can then start pacing out the breath. So sometimes I just want the body to be, I want to, all my, all the feels are welcome here. My body thinks and feels, my breath is home, my organs are home, and not try to over-control them. Just let them rest on the ball and be with them. Yeah. Okay, so so just so I'm clear, you you roll up a yoga mat or a pillow, you're starting on your left side, you're yeah. laying on your left side, you're letting your abdomen just kind of hang, the, like you said, what'd you call it, the gut baby. Where's gut baby. The Where's the ball? Is the I'm going to show you... I'm going to show you the picture in the book. Oh, it's in the book. So, okay, great. So that, because there, oh, listen, you know what? There's even, I have this online. I have a free video of gut baby. Look at oh, that. I have amazing. a QR code. So can you okay. see how I'm, the yep. ball, how my abs totally are kind of like yep. loaded on there. Okay. So you're using the pressure of the mechanoreceptors of the fascia of the gut which actually is really interesting. You have me thinking now because bloating I've always thought of as for the perimenopause and menopausal woman is it's a trouble clearing estrogen. It's like, you know, really for the woman who still still has a cycle, it's often that post-ovulation bloat because the body can't clear the estrogen. But then now you're really giving me insight on how to use mechanoreceptors to tap into this estrogen system. So, uh, you know, I hope every woman who still has a cycle, one real important place you would use this would be post-ovulation, don't you think? Yes. And one of the other things that, that I want to make sure that your listeners know is that your organs are comprised of collagen, mm. right? So these are fascial structures too, right? Our organs yeah. are surrounded by fascia, but the, as the, I'm sorry, my this warning, this, I had turned this off, but it's coming in. The motility slowing is also yes. due to elastic changes throughout yeah. throughout your body. Collagen is not, 
the fascia is not just where the collagen is. The collagen, you know, fascia is a structure that that comprises your colon and your small intestines too. So yeah. we have these collagen changes and estrogen changes all over. Interesting. Really yeah. interesting it's, to it's think about. It's like a part of the hormone conversation I literally have never had. So you have my brain totally geeked out on this. So if if I'm a perimenopause or menopausal woman, bloating is a big issue. I know it's co- collagen changes. Could I do a daily routine? Like, could I take a yoga tune-up ball and just go along the the large intestine? Go, I you know, I used to do this in my clinic all the time yep. for when kids had colic, I, or babies had colic. I would show the parents how to do an upside down U yes. on the on the belly with their hand. I'm feeling like we need to do that with the ball yes. when we go through these perimenopausal yes. years. Yeah. So I so the gorgeous ball, I mean, you can inflate it to the density you you like. And it does take it takes a little bit to get used to it. That's why I start people generally on their side so that they can acclimate to their own pain pressure threshold and also get familiar with the feeling of their viscera, right? With these visceral pressures, because it is very, very odd. But ultimately, abdominal massage, self-abdominal massage is, I think, just critical to digestive health, but also to mobilize gut-sensitized lymph to move it to the thoracic duct. I mean, it's very helpful for your immune system. It's also very helpful for your core mechanics, right? Because like you yep. said, the mechanosensors, so we're, we're stretching and we're pressuring and we're shearing these different muscles of the core. So ultimately, this can help back pain, change your relationship to back pain, and be able to make these muscles more functional. And this is to say nothing of what it's also doing for the help of the respiratory diaphragm and then the, the rib cage there higher than that, because we also do the same type of work on the rib cage. It, it's fascinating to me. I, I literally, like, I've thought a lot. I love anatomy. I, when you're like, oh, I'm, I'm not to geek out on anatomy. I'm like, yes, let's geek out on anatomy. I love anatomy. But I had never thought of the mechanoreceptors and the power of stimulating those through the menopausal process. And to yes. me, through the menopausal process means 40. Anything after 40, we start to see these hormonal shifts. And I, in my clinic all the time, I saw so many extreme athletes at the end of their 40s injure themselves and they were not recovering. What I'm currently seeing is so many women that are dealing with bloating, you know, throughout mm. their 40s and they're, it's just driving them crazy. And what you just taught me was we got to go think about these mechanoreceptors and, and stimulating them so that we are adapting for the changes in hormones. Yes. And I mean, there, there, there's so much to talk about because, I mean, there are also some really other important areas of the body that I think athletes need to really make sure that they're rolling on a regular basis oh, t- because of this, this changeover of type 3 to type 1 collagen. So the, the ankles are really, really important, especially because of the prevalence of Achilles tears that starts to ramp up with aging. And it's just really puzzling how people are like, I had no clue that I was about to rupture, like yep. su- with these sudden ruptures. And, and yep. I'm specifically thinking about one of my clients. She was playing pickleball. Pickleball? Pickleball injuries, anyone? <laughs> 59, yeah, 59 years old. And she, she was simply walking backwards on the court. So her ankle was in dorsiflexion. That means, you know, that's the position that your ankle is in when your knee is ahead of your toes. And the calf is greatly stretched. And she's just walking backwards. It was no shuffle backwards. It was a walk backwards. And the Achilles popped. And I mean, this is a healthy woman. I mean, she has mm. been a student of mine for decades and is 
just super healthy. And I just could not figure out how she didn't get feedback from her calf that she was beyond range or beyond a safe range or that there was no signal there was to no her. Sign. Yeah. No signal ever. And so the same researcher, Carla Stucco, at the most recent fascia research congress, which was 20, 20, maybe it was at the same conference that she did this other lecture on, on aging. And what she described, and this gets real, real anatomical. So let me just describe to the listeners. You have fascia wrapping around every single muscle cell of your body, right? So like if you imagine an orange, everybody can picture the orange analogy. If you like you pick, you open up the orange and then you get your segments, but then you segment the segment. And when you pull the se- the skin of the segment apart, you see all these beautiful glistening kryptonite looking juice things inside of a little cellulose packet, right? And you can yep. just pop it and all of a sudden you have this clear see-through cellulose. It's really cool, right? Yep. Your muscle cells are the same way. Every muscle cell is surrounded by fascia and the, the, the surrounding fascia at that point at the level of the muscle cells is called the endomesium. Then you have these muscle cells that come together and they, this bundle of muscle cells is called a, a fascicle. We can also call that a fascicle. I think that's probably the correct pronunciation. In my head, it's fascicle. And the fascia there is called the perimesium. And then when you have bunches of clumps of these fascicles together, then we have a, a muscle and right. it's wrapped in more fascia called the epimesium. But these, this fascia is continuous. Like this is like spun and spun and spun and spun. So the stretch sensor in a muscle is called the muscle spindle. And it has a capsule. And the capsule of the muscle, so muscle spindle senses pull on the muscle. Mm. And this is how we sense stretch. We sense stretch because there's, there's pulling occurring. And then your brain is like, oh, there's feeling stretch. I'm going to stop stretching because it's too much. Um, but the, it's, it's a yanking actually on the, the fascial capsule in this spindle. And the capsule is made up of endomesium, perimesium, and epimesium. So just stay with me here. If my type 3 collagen is being steadily replaced with type 1 collagen, I may not necessarily be feeling stretch where I used to feel stretch anymore mm. because, because the stiffening is so profound and I'm at a loss, a sensory loss. I start to lose sensory, I get like sensory amnesia because of this over stiffening. And I'm not even aware that it's happening because I'm, you're just not aware of it. And I think that that's probably part of the mechanism that led to my friend rupturing because she had no sensation of stretch. And so it's this, and so I think, you know, she wasn't rolling her ankles. She wasn't doing stimulation with the therapy balls in specific ways at all, if, if at all. So anyway, I think that there are certain areas of our body, wrists, fingers, hands, feet, ankles, that are very high charge zones of movement, of differential movement, that we need this differential movement. And, you know, we see these incidents of ruptures and then, of course, of surgeries for carpal tunnel. These are, these are, Due to fascial narrowing, not just yeah, you know, this this is age related changes to fascia. So I I think that to, to to go back to let's keep stimulating our connective tissues via friction, especially with this recession of of estrogen. 
In your book, do you have like a daily protocol? That's what I just learned as I was listening to you on that. I thought, well, there needs to be a daily protocol if we're not going to have a sense that the stiffness could leave. I mean, my husband had an Achilles tendon rupture and it changed him forever for for all the wrong, you know, his fitness level and he couldn't play soccer anymore. It was a big deal. Um, so how do we make sure that we don't do that? Do you have like a pro, like a two minute, five minute protocol in your book that people could reference to just make sure well, they're hitting body? Yeah. Body by breath is really concerned about the body wide impacts of respiration. My first book, the role model, which I always have a copy of right here. Great. This book goes through every body part and okay. teaches you how to roll. And so I think that, you know, I don't necessarily say like, this is exactly how you have to roll every time because I think people should use their their sen- their own sensibility. But it would be a good idea to get some good rolling friction around your ankle and throughout your feet. And I, I have an online classroom where I take people through so many different possibilities of rolling for so many different reasons. But yes, most of the people that work with me do some rolling every day. In- I mean, including myself and my husband, who's my partner in business. But yeah. Amazing. It's a lifestyle. Okay. Yeah, no, and and but that this has been like my my plea to the world is that there is a lifestyle change that needs to happen for women after 40. End of story. Your hormones are going away, you're losing neurotransmitters. You've got to learn how to build a life that adapts to that loss. We can put a patch on it, that can help, but we still have this lifestyle. And what I'm hearing now is Stimulating the mechanoreceptors is part of that adaptation. Breath is part of that adaptation. And so I love that you've put these manuals together for us so that we can lean into both those books. And we'll leave links for your books to sort of show us how, where we can, can get a door in. One, one of my curiosities in, and something I've been thinking a lot about this year is the memory that fascia has of trauma. And, you know, if you look at the old theories around rolfing, you mentioned earlier on that there's emotions stored in our fascia as well. So talk to us a little bit about what we need to know just about emotional stuff that might come up as we start to roll and breathe into fascia. Have you seen people have emotions come up and out of them? Yeah, so I would probably frame the frame the question or frame the uh, the re- response around, you know, you know, I've dissected a number of bodies, and when I'm in there, I don't see the emotion. I just right. see the fat. That's right. So, yeah. So, yeah. so I just want to say, like, I think that you know, we we you know, and there's there's some old myths in the yoga space, like, oh, well, your dad's in your left hip, mom's in your right mm. hip. And I I don't really subscribe to that. That's a truth. What I do know is that with these two hundred 50 million <laughs> sensory nerve endings in your fascial tissues. When you're rolling, you're not just increasing range of motion, but you will be rolling and experiencing a range of emotion. And you don't necessarily know why, wherefore, how, or what the is emerging from you. Yeah. But it's very important to honor the responses that yes. your body has. Yes. As you contact the uh, places within yourself that you might not let other people touch. And I think that's just so highly valuable to be able to track yourself, to treat yourself and to sense yourself so that you are in total ownership 
of the experience of the, being the giver and the receiver of this sensitive touch, um, yeah. light touch, deep touch, whatever it is that, 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 that pleases you and that feeds your interest, your curiosity. So yes, I see it all the time. And that is a honestly the one of the biggest motivations for writing Body by Breath. When I wrote the role model, and I started writing this, oh my God, two thousand. Okay, so this book is ten years old. Uh, I started writing it twelve years ago. The role model, and um, I put a call to action out to my students all over the world. Hey, how has rolling helped your body or your life? And I expected people to send in answers like, oh, it helped me recover from my knee surgery or it prevented my back surgery or, you know, I used it um, during chemo and it was very, you know, helpful for this and that. I really expected a lot of these uh, sort of clinical answers. Every story I got, and this, this book is loaded with testimonies, every story I got had a huge emotional component, mm. huge yep. self-regulation component. And I knew that was true for me because I came to rolling because of my own eating disorders. I started doing abdominal massage because I was bulimic and I couldn't feel my abs mm. And when I was in Pilates. And I needed to figure out a way to connect the dots, mm. to connect mm. this hemisphere of, you know, this part of my life, which was my brain trying to control everything. And then this body underneath that was just struggling and, and following urges. And so for me, the self-massage was the thing that brought me into a sense of wholeness with myself. I and I really wanted to know, well, why was that? that? Why is this self-touch yeah. so emotionally regulating? And so yeah. Body by Breath was partly born of that investigation of why were so many people using these as a soothing mechanism, as a coping mechanism, not just to help with their neck pain, or why were they helping their neck pain? And all of a sudden, they started to cry. And they started yeah. to process things. Yeah. And so when you say the body keeps the score, this is very much in line with the, 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 the touch therapy, the somatic psychotherapy space of realizing that the body does hold emotion. The body thinks and feels. It's not just that we have all these stories in our head. Our body tells the story. But it's, sometimes it's very difficult for an individual to be able to hear their own story or process their own story. And this work, I think, gives you a framework for creating the time and the space to be able to do that for yourself. And then if you need to seek additional help, if you need a counselor or a therapist mm. or a group, I encourage you in the book, I have resources of, you know, you know, people in the somatic psych space that can help you process this range of emotion that is yeah. suddenly showing itself to you. Yeah, that's so, so beautifully said. Okay, where do people find these books? I'm like, I'm creating Christmas lists in my head as you're talking. I'm like, okay, this person I know needs it. Where do they find the books and where do they find the balls? Because I think you've referred to the balls a couple of times. Yes. So we'll leave links for everything, but just verbally, how do we how do we get to your resources? Yeah, I have a big website, tuneupfitness.com. So my company is Tune Up Fitness and I teach online classes once a week. I also have a mentor program where we get together and we discuss all this all this work. There's a number of trainings that are available on the site. Brock, what, what, on your staff, knows Katie Bowman. I've done a program with her called Walking Well. I referenced Tom Myers earlier. We have a program called Rolling Along the Anatomy Trains. Um, my friend Kelly Starrett, who wrote the foreword to the role model, we have a program called Treat While You Train. I even have a hit program, funny, 
I've been with a, a, a physical therapist friend of mine, Dr. Jennifer Brony, called Roland DeHit. So the books are, those those are available. All those programs and balls are on tuneupfitness.com. Role models available on tuneupfitness.com. Body by Breath is not available on our website because it is so heavy. This is yeah, a- Yeah, it looks over- really, yeah. And yeah. you got sent to me, it was really heavy, yes. So It's yes. a hardback. And so you can, the best price that, that can be done is on Amazon. So we yeah. can't beat Amazon's prices, so we don't carry it. And you can also find it at Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, and then all over the world. I can't remember the European websites, but there are certainly available all over the world through, I think, blackwells.co through .uk. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, this was fascinating. So I thank you for taking a hormonal perspective with me in this conversation. You know, I'm really trying to give women over 40 solutions and, and really understanding our body. And wow. As, you know, the changes to our fascial system, I, I did not expect to hear what you presented to us today. So thank you for that. Well, you're um, amazing to bounce this stuff off of. And mm-hmm. I just, I'm so excited by what I learned from you today, too. Mm-hmm. So you. I promise I'm going to keep going down this track and hopefully I'll discover and learn more and then we can do a share, uh, you Let's know, do it. a year from now or yeah, so. You know, I think the question that I have keep coming back to is if estradiol stimulated every organ system, what do we need to do to backfill in? And and we can still put the patch on, we can still take the creams, but we still have to have this conversation about lifestyle and it's intricate. And what I'm hoping everybody hears is that a lot of the symptoms that show up for us, we put in the category of aging, or, or we, we, they're so troublesome, they affect our life, and we don't understand why. And what I'm trying to do is help people understand why, because the body doesn't do anything by mistake. When you are bloating, it wasn't like all of a sudden, you know, the powers that be was like, I'm going to give you a distended abdomen today. It's, it, there is something that the body is trying to tell us, and you just gave me a whole nother piece of that. So I really appreciate it. I got to finish with my favorite question. I love knowing people's superpower. Do What's your superpower, do you think, that you bring to the world? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Playfulness. Yay. Amazing. We need more of that. We need. And how does that show up for you? Because a lot you of women. You should see me. You should see me play with my balls, Mindy. <laughs> You know, sometimes my kids, my grown kids, they're 23 and 21. They'll be like, mom, you're like, you're like a grown kid. And I'm like, yeah, there's like this little kid in me sometimes that doesn't want to work, doesn't want to do anything. and just wants to goof around. So I'm trying to learn how to bring her out more because the adult life made her quite serious. So I love hearing that you have that playfulness is your superpower. It's beautiful. Well, thank you. And I will send everybody to tune up fitness.com and get your books and I'm several people listening to this probably already received a present from me so appreciate you thank Jill you. thank yeah, you Mindy keep up the good work thank you you too thank you. thank you so much for joining me in today's episode I love bringing thoughtful discussions about all things health to you if you enjoyed it we'd love to know about it so please leave us a review share it with your friends and let me know what your biggest takeaway is 